0: Hey, team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to get back and support the Eternal Optimist community, Go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist, It's Never Too Late, and you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Matt Drinkon. Welcome back to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, where we offer hope, or you can do it to attitude by highlighting success stories and the challenges of the people out there who have done something amazing. And I have a guest on the show today who is doing amazing things each and every day on the front line as an educator. Someone that has come highly recommended today is Ms. Talline Stevens. And first of all, welcome to the show from California. How are you today?
1: I'm great, thanks so much for having me. How are you?
0: crushing it. Fired up. It's Friday. I'm going tonight here on February 2nd. I'm going with the kids to Kate's skate to go and do some skating. So that should be pretty fun. We're a month that's away fun. from my book launch. So I'm super excited about that. So you ask how we're doing and that's it. Pretty fired up. Today. You're just fired
1: yeah. up. Doing yeah. great. Oh, that's awesome. Glad to hear it. Have fun skating time. Roller or ice?
0: Roller skating. I've, I've actually never been ice skating. I've been to rinks before and I've tried them on. Maybe was on ice skates for a minute. But the skating on a blade. I watch at the Olympics <laughs> It looks really cool to see them get down and do all that skating around the cones, but I've not done it before. Have you ice skated before?
1: Just as a kid, like I have a memory of being about four or five and ice skating. And my parents will always tell me this story. I think I cut my finger a little bit on the blade, trying to put it on. And then ever since I got one nick, I was like, no, I'd rather go to the vending machine and have snacks. And they're like, you wouldn't even try again. And I'm in the process of trying to change that about myself. Even if I mess up or I hurt myself, I'm going to get back up and do it again.
0: Great. That feeds right into our podcast. I love it working on the things that are challenging. So let's start off this. So Talene, give me three bullet points, if you don't mind, on high-level context to set our conversation up. What are three things about you that you might share with the audience to kick us off?
1: All right. Three things about me. I'm going to start off with the basics because it really feeds into the higher level stuff. So I am a mom of two. I've been married for almost 12 years and I have been an educator for 15 years, classroom based and then homeschool. And then now I'm an instructional coach specifically for language arts at our school and for kindergarten through eighth grade. And so that's one facet. Like that's things that you would see on the bio or whatever. But the next bullet point would be because I'm a mom and because I'm an educator, I strongly believe that there is a way to do this better for our kids, right? So to educate them better, to teach them that there's so much more out there than whatever's written in a textbook, that learning is all around them. And there's always room to grow, even if you feel like you're an expert at something. And if you're not an expert at something, that's okay. And to learn from our failures and our mistakes. And we do this through a variety of teaching methods. But one of my favorite ones is through project-based learning and to empower the adults that are in charge of kids to be able to embrace that mindset and then to subsequently empower the kids that they're with that mindset. So I've made it my life mission to do that. And so that's bullet point number two is my super duper life mission. And then bullet point number three would be that I'll go lighter. We just got a dog and it's very heavy on my mind because we are spending so much time with it and trying to train them, or her actually and okay. she's a puppy and it's our first time getting a puppy and things like that we are working together as a family to really try to set us up for success in the long run but it is not unlike having a newborn and it has been taking so much time uh,
0: yes. <laughs> anyway okay but so we love her big moment here not the moment <laughs> of judgment just a moment i'm curious what did you name your puppy
1: her name is Cinnamon.
0: Cinnamon. Cinnamon, cinnamon yes. Rose. <laughs> yes. My
1: son's seven. My daughter's five. My son was dead set on wanting to name our next pet Cinnamon. And so here we are. She's Cinnamon. And my husband begrudgingly agreed to that. <laughs> he was like, no, <laughs> but it is what it is. And it's hard for little kids to stay. We have friends who come over and they have toddlers and stuff. And they're like, what's your dog's name? And we're like, Cinnamon. And they're like, well, they can't pronounce it very well. So she'll be whatever variation of Cinnamon comes out of their mouth.
0: I'm going to transport back to 1987. I'm 10 years old. I'm in fifth grade. Okay. We're getting a new puppy. We already have one yeah. named Candy. It's a little Pekinese puppy oh, named that's Candy. that's a great name. Yeah. Well, that's the name yeah. that she came with when we got her from the Pounds. We got Candy. And then we got another Pekinese puppy just after that. And she was a newborn. So we had to name her. And I wanted to name her Phoebe because I'd been watching <laughs> Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I had a crush on Phoebe All Cates. Right, yeah. She was also in sure. Gremlins. So I wanted to name the puppy Phoebe. <laughs> okay. And my mom and dad were like, nah, she's going to be Taffy. So we have Candy. And Taffy. I wanted Phoebe, but ended up loving Taffy. I'm sure that everyone's going to love That's cinnamon. so cute. You
1: could just whisper Phoebe to her. We like our name together. We're yes. doing it together. <laughs>
0: yeah. Let's go back to something that you just shared. One of the things that is important to you is the mindset of always room to grow. I love that. And yeah. learn from failures or mistakes. So I'd love to go back in time to a point in your life where you can look back and say, you know what, that was a real challenge for me. So go back in time, if you will, you could go yesterday, or go all the way back to when you were born. But what's something that's been <laughs> challenging for you in your life to that we can share the story?
1: So one of the things that comes to mind, my experience in school, it was challenging when I was probably in upper elementary, fourth through sixth grade or so. I came from a Armenian school because I am Armenian, but we lived about an hour away from that school. So there was a good portion of my life where we were commuting to and from the school. And then my parents were like, this is not sustainable anymore. We're going to have to send you to a school that's more local. And we did that. And when I transferred to that school as a kid, Aside from making friends, which was very difficult in the beginning, there were clicks already made and things like that and navigating that. I strongly remember what it's like to be a child trying to just fit in and to be invited to play games at recess and to do things like that. But I also really had a hard time keeping up with the workload. And in retrospect, it didn't even occur to me until I was an adult. In retrospect, I think I had a little bit of a language barrier, even though we had an English speaking household and I was still speaking Armenian at school and with my grandparents and things. Things like that and my dad because okay. my dad's Armenian my mom's not and when I would go to school I would read all the information but I would not comprehend it and then it was like mountains of paperwork that we had to do and worksheets and comprehension questions and things like that and I was just getting buried and it was so difficult to navigate I just felt like I was failing socially I was failing academically and it even got to the point where my parents they were doing their best to help me and then eventually they got me a tutor but the part that I think led to me needing a tutor is in the fifth grade, we had report cards that were sent to us every quarter. There's four quarters in a school year. And then the third quarter report card, I got an F in science. And I needed to get the report card signed by my parents. And I was terrified to show them. And I forged a signature and I turned it in, let it go. And then I knew that the fourth quarter report cards were going to be mailed because it's summertime at that point. And so I was like regularly checking the mailbox over the summer trying to just make sure that I could snatch the report card before they saw it. And then I assumed that I would just bring up my grade in the fourth quarter. So it would average to be like a a C. Yeah. And they beat me to it. They got to the report card before I did. And they looked at it. And they were like, what happened? (laughs) And They're like, I don't remember seeing this. And I tried gaslighting them as a 10 year old would and I would be you signed it. And they're like, No, you we would have remembered that. And I got into so much Trouble, not for the grade, but for forging yeah. a signature and lying. <laughs> and yeah, so, yeah. but then they realize and they know I was having a hard time, and they're like, "We need to get you help. If you're struggling with a subject, like we're not going to punish you for it. We need to get you help." And I went and got a lot of tutoring.
0: And those of you listening out there, this is like real time trying to figure out all this Riverside technology here. But that brings up a question I have for you about this whole time in life, because I also remember very vividly whenever the report card yeah. come out, you got to go home and get it signed. And I remember when the grades were really good, I was excited. I was ready for that praise, ready for that attaboy. And there were a few times that the grades were not exactly where I think my parents, yeah. or especially my dad, expected them to be. And I was super nervous and scared to bring it home. All right? So you transferring yeah. schools, fourth to sixth grade, a girl who speaks fluent Armenian, who's trying to understand English comprehension, it's not easy, and your grade is at F. Ultimately, why did you end up making that signature on there? Was it because you just terrified of the look or the spanking? Or what was that like in your home? The
1: disappointment or yeah. whatever. So my parents had really high expectations for grades. Academics were really important. My parents really drove home the fact that like nobody can take your education away from you. Like this is something that you're working on. And it's yours. No one can ever take it away from you. And it's interesting because I learned how to read as a young kid, like second or third grade, fluent reader in both languages. But remembering everything I read was a big deal. And I struggled with that part of it. And so it took a second for the adults in my life to realize that I wasn't really comprehending what I was reading. And it was only apparent in the report card. And then it came along that way. And it was really a balance between not understanding the information and also, being overwhelmed with the workload for that age level. And I remember it so vividly. And it drives a lot of what I do today. Like I try my best to not forget that part of being a kid. It's tough out there. And these kids need advocates and they need help. And they need to know that if they're messing up or failing something, it's not a reflection of them as a person. It's a reflection of a need that they have that we can help them with. So I don't want them to feel like lesser than because of it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I see that a lot on campus I experience it a lot with my own children and it's just plays a huge part as to whether or not they feel successful in the long run how they deal with those failures how they're behaving because of it we can dive into that whole thing later too well, so it's really I love interesting that you're able
0: to do that because so many people will, will have this experience at a young age and they'll just compartmentalize it keep it inside never talk about it again and then it gets to parenting their own kids and it's the same thing that happened with their parents and I don't all the great stuff that our parents gifted to us. A lot of amazing stuff because we're here today and we're doing fine. And there's still some of that challenge stuff that we as kids are learning to process. So how has your experience helped to guide you as a mom and then be an educator who teaches others? Because I think that's the whole essence of eternal optimism is being able to take the stuff that happens in our lives, use it to our advantage to have an impact. So now that you've shared your story, you have awareness of all the stuff that's happened. How has this informed you and and helped you as a parent to show up?
1: I love that question because I have a specific example that can show how this plays out as a parent. My daughter, she's my younger one, is really into art. She started going into it at four years old. She's okay. five now. She loves drawing. She loves doing all these things. And we made a thing of it. Like we would sit down together. We would paint together. We would sketch together. We would do all these things. And it like I considered it like our bonding time. My son, we play video games together. That's our bonding time, right?
0: I'm sorry, I got to interrupt. What video game do you play with your son?
1: I took it old school. Like we play the Switch. And so on the switch you can do super nintendo games yes. like you can download all the retro games it was important for me to start them off with all the classics that i grew up with as a kid so we did super mario brothers yes. donkey kong like things like that <laughs> and then mario kart and then now he'll still go back to it and he started playing sonic and things like that and then now we got the more upgraded version and so like my favorite thing to do is mario kart deluxe 8 yes. <laughs> that's my favorite pastime. time and i like battle mode specifically bob on blast that's just my favorite and it's what i use to like decompress and then i'll just take a 20 minute break play it and i'll play it with him and stuff like that okay
0: we're not done here hold on one second most important question (laughs) of the podcast what character do you play as when you're playing mario kart 100%
1: of the time, a version of Yoshi. (gasps) Sometimes it's pink Yoshi. Sometimes it's dark blue Yoshi. Who's your person?
0: I'm always the evil Toad. Always Toad. Because I love just to be the the small one that just sneaks up, no one's expecting him, and they just, woohoo, talk a little smack when they go by. Woohoo! And then they they hit him with a blue shell, or they hit him in some way. I love Um, it. My
1: husband is a Toad person, too, sometimes. But (laughs) then he's been doing Tanuki Mario here and there.
0: Okay. (laughs) Excellent. Super serious stuff here, team. Super, okay. So back to the exam with your daughter by the way is this wonderful painting on the back of your recording back here is this your daughter's artwork behind you this i bought at home goods okay
1: this i painted for funsies Ah. Oh. this i printed out on a computer awesome <laughs> so three different art forms oh. yeah, yeah. Uh, the giraffe in the bathtub spoke to me so i really like it <laughs> yeah. so i just put it and it's in the background but then i realized if i sit a certain way it looks like there's a giraffe growing out of my head <laughs> so then there's that too uh, so, <laughs> and it just makes me giggle <laughs> i
0: like it i like the tile um, on the floor of the painting back there Uh, and of course I like anything with a long neck because I I have a long neck so same that's
1: why it spoke to me so much (laughs) because you can't see it but I'm five foot nine and so when I tell people my name like I'm tall lean it's like I'm tall and lean and then they're like oh and they'll never forget (laughs)
0: so nice back to your daughter okay
1: Yeah, so we would paint together and we still do. And we sketch together and we do things like that. And when she would make a mistake, she would get so incredibly frustrated. And I kept trying to remind her painting and art is an incredible way to work with your mistake and your mistake might actually be something even better than what you originally planned. And so really trying to use art as the catalyst to try to shift her mindset about failing. But I can see she's really hard on herself. It's pretty naturally occurring. To her, like just wants to do everything right the first time. And she doesn't want to make those mistakes. She just wants it to go well. And then also, she'll look at my work and what I'm doing, and she's all oh, mine's not as good as yours. And I'm like, What? So then I try modeling messing up also, and I'll say it out loud. Oh no, I got this big ink blot in the middle of my paper. I have no idea what I'm gonna do with this. Oh, maybe I'll turn it into a bug or something like that, and it'll wow. just be part of the scene and things like that. And so it's a small example but using those kinds of thought processes to shift the mindset of being like oh no I messed up it's ruined crumble it up throw it in the trash and I say sometimes you do need to crumble it up and start over again or sometimes you can work with it sometimes you can paint over it sometimes you can erase it we have to remind her that pencils have erasers for a reason <laughs> like these things happen and it's okay So it's really ah,
0: interesting I love your story yeah. you're, by the way you're talking to someone who has a family of artists like I'm the sports person oh, nice. and more analytical my yeah. wife is super creative so we we have very creative family members. And be- as a result of that, we happen to be in love with this particular character over here named Bob oh, Ross. I love
1: him. So yeah, I've always got so a Bob cute. Ross
0: or his cousin, Big Bob. I've always got a couple Bob Rosses <laughs> around because we get these out whenever we make mistakes. We're actually teaching the kids that, hey, these are happy little accidents. Let's learn with them. So I love that I you're love teaching lessons by it. modeling. If there's a note taker out there, how are you modeling Whenever mistakes are made, how you're modeling a graceful re-entry. Into get back to it or graceful learning from it. I love the way you're doing this, and I'm taking a note over here, working with your mistakes, and, and instead of making it a mistake, now it's an additive thing. It's it's a gift. Yeah. yeah.
1: metacognating is the term that they use in education. Like you're talking out loud through your thought process. Right. And so I try to do that. And it's not natural for me. It feels like you're narrating every thought that you have while you're going through something yes. as opposed to just thinking through it, problem solving and then doing something on your own, which you're hoping the kids that you're working with do eventually. Right. Like you want them to think through it quietly and then solve their problem. That's a life skill. But as the adult in charge, you have to be very explicit, even when it's uncomfortable and unnatural. And then also, sorry, back to Bob Ross really quick. Have you guys done that Halloween costume yet where you're Bob Ross and she's the canvas?
0: No. Tell me more. I'm going to Google that right away. It's (laughs) like a
1: couple's costume and then it's like the dress looks like a landscape and so she'll wear that or vice versa. You would be the landscape and then she can wear the Bob Ross hair and outfit and then it's like super cute. (laughs) We haven't done it yet either, but it's on my list.
0: Oh, I just Googled this and I'm on Amazon right now getting ready to order. Oh, <laughs> there it is, everybody. Thank you for this suggestion. we're going to have a lot of fun with this tonight. You're okay. So, for our <laughs> listeners, I'm going to share something a little bit different. And I didn't debate going this. We're just going to go there. My wife and I, okay. we just had our 10 year anniversary and we got this gift for each other. And one of the parts of this gift is a section on role playing and <laughs> role playing in a number of different ways. But the way that I'm included in on right now is role playing creatively, fun with the family. So, our first thought might be some kind of romantic like intimate thing and there's part of that in the book but part of the book is also doing like a role playing something with your family so i'm imagining that we might have our next halloween party that will be bob ross and the canvas and the kids might be paintbrushes, or the kids might be they might be canvases too i don't know or maybe all of us are bob rosses and i'm a canvas i don't know what do you think
1: and they can paint your costume like you can get pure white costumes or dresses or shirts or whatever and then the whole family participates makes the rest of the costumes and there's a bob
0: Okay. I like (laughs) this. And I'm going to actually take this into the education space because I work with some boards of education throughout the States. And one of the things we do is on-site experiences where we get in there and coach building trust and playing and having fun at work. Yeah. So what I'm imagining, because I gifted everyone that's part of this one particular group I coach, everyone got a Bob Ross on the first event that we had. That's a symbol of whatever we need to politely ask someone to pause because they're just we pull this guy up. <laughs> He's a reminder to wrap it up. So I'm thinking that the next big it. event, since I'm six foot seven, and I'm a large person. I might just wear like an all white body suit of some kind. I'd, of course, keep it appropriate and professional, but maybe even put it on this suit like a, a canvas on the front and have them come paint in some way, shape or form. Or maybe just give everyone a Bob Ross wig and have them go paint their vision or something. But I like there's so many ways to model
1: It really is. And then they can even take that activity into the classrooms and do things like that. I love it. There's so much you can do there.
0: It's a lot. So how are you taking these challenges that you experienced at a young age, adapting and the parental expectation? How are you now taking this into the classroom in your teaching?
1: So a couple things. One of my main goals is to collaborate really well with the families that are involved with their kids and to remind them on day one and even before day one, if I have an opportunity, that we are... In this together, it takes a village to raise a child. And for this year, I'm part of this village. So you let me know how I can support you with your goals for your kiddos. And I'm going to do the same for you for how you can support me with your kiddos while they're in my classroom. And then we can work together and we have this open line of communication. And then also, after the first day of school, I highly recommend people do this. I don't have my own classroom anymore. I teach teachers. That's my job now. But I highly recommend that my teachers reach out in the first day, if possible. Possible, but first day or two of school individually to each family and make that positive connection home. Even if that kid was a lot on day one, find something about them that was really good and bring it home to the parents so that they know that every time they hear from you, it's not always bad news. And you're training your mind to look for the positive, even when something presents to be incredibly difficult. If you have a kid that just a lot of energy, and they're running yes. around the room, and they're not following your directions, and they're really difficult to do what you need them to do yes. in those times, you can work with their energy. You can say, okay, this kid has to move. But when you communicate with the family say, I love the energy that your kid brings to my class, it just okay. makes it so much more fun. And it is going to inspire me to think of ways to make sure that I can keep him or her engaged in my class in a different way that I might have not thought about before. And so you are training yourself to think about and look for the good. I love it. And when I'm working with the kids to really keep in mind that these people are people. They come with their own set of skills, strengths, needs, all of those things. And so to have a couple tricks up my sleeve or ways that I need to teach a concept in order to make it stick for them. And not everybody's going to be performing at the same level. Not everybody comes in speaking the same language. We are in LA County. So we have a large subset of multiple backgrounds and ethnicities and languages and things like that. And so in order to connect With them, you remember they're humans. They have needs. You connect with them first. You have to make that connection with them to make them want to come to school, want to be in your space, and want to learn before you address any sort of academic rigor that they might be coming across. And then, when it comes time to teach them a new concept or to do something, you might approach it in a physical way and have them do a relay race to do their spelling, or you might have them do an art project to practice their math facts, or you might have them. Whatever it is that makes them learn better and build that confidence in them before you're asking them because you do want to teach them the grit to sit down and go through the things that are not as pleasant or take a ton of time to read and answer a question because they are all standardized tests at the end of the year and you want them to be able to sit through all that. But you build it up incrementally and you build up that inspiration and that love for learning and that love for growth and then you can teach them how to sit through the more unpleasant things that they're going to have to go through. Through, like standardized tests and things like that. Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what I'm hearing, I'm thinking in my mind is just on rocket fuel right now. I'm thinking about the different ways to apply this. Let's say there's a classroom of 14 kids and in there, there's this one particular boy and when he gets jazzed up, he doesn't listen very well. He he goes around in circles and he can't stop talking and he just keeps moving around. And that inspires a couple other kids to get really energetic and there's a little bit yeah. of chaos in the classroom. And if I'm a teacher who passionate about these kids and I'm super frustrated, frustrated that this particular kid won't just sit still, then there are other ways than just discipline or just shut him down completely. Not just to let him run wild, but there are other ways to help find that creativity. It could be art projects. It could be relay races. It could be some form of creativity that you've just described. And I wonder how many teachers do that
1: Hopefully, most of them. I really think that teachers have that best intention. And it's hard to remember when you're in the moment. Sometimes you're just frazzled and you're just trying to get through the lesson and hit these objectives and the targets. Yet you're still wanting to not be like a total boo-boo butt to that kid because clearly they're struggling with something. But it takes a lot of conversations with that kid and coming at it from an empathetic perspective. Hey, I noticed that you're having a hard time sitting down while I'm teaching. Uh And I really want you to get this topic and this concept. And so what I would remind teachers to do is a couple things. One is keep their attention span in mind and teach them like coping strategies. Like for me, whenever I have to listen to somebody speak and I'm about to go into a meeting here when we're done, I'm a doodler. I doodle, I note take, things like that. Things that I need to do to keep myself moving so that I can stay engaged and I can retain the information a little bit bit better and we try different strategies that might not be the thing for that kid but you can try it and see if it works the other thing you want to do is empower those kids because they are seeking a way to be noticed oftentimes it is attention seeking behavior things like that i do have a memory of teaching this had to be like 10 or 11 years ago and one of my kiddos was diagnosed with adhd he really had a hard time sitting down and had the best intentions but would just constantly interrupt get up run around things like that and so we were talking about it and I was actually going through my master's program at this time and somebody had a great idea and I was like oh my gosh I want to do this with him so you get kids books and if you look it up there are also other creators on social media and stuff like that that will highlight books that have main characters that have the similar issues that the kids have so I got a bunch of kid books where the main character had a hard time sitting still or staying attentive to a lesson and things like that and then what you do is you have the kid teach the class about the that particular issue. So I remember him getting up in front of the class and we got him all these resources and he would say something like do you guys ever sit down for too long and you start getting antsy and you want to move around and everybody could relate. They raised their hands and then he was like that's how I feel but like all the time and it doesn't take me that long to start feeling that way like maybe just a couple minutes. And so then I asked him first if he was comfortable with doing this and he was Mm -hmm. and then the kids then were empathizing with him and they understood a little bit more about where he was coming from. I'm not trying to make a mess of the class or anything like that it's just I really have a hard time sitting still and so we're working through things to try to figure out how I can still work in a classroom setting and it was really eye-opening for me because it inspired him to just take ownership of it and learn more about it and then teach his peers about it so that they were empathetic about what was happening
0: I've taken a few notes in the last few minutes that's just been really amazing and I'm going to take these back and journal about it and think about it and one of the things that really stood out to me I I wrote down keeping their attention span in mind. And that hits me like a ton of bricks because every eight minutes or 15 minutes, the kids want to go do something different. At least mine do, eight, seven, and five years old. So I I can relate to that. And then you said doodling. And it's odd because as you said that, I'm looking around my office. My wife calls this like complete and utter chaos. I call it organized chaos (laughs) or a symphony of my own masterpieces because I doodle all the time. (laughs) What what do you doodle, by the way? What's your doodling?
1: So my go-to is always like palm trees and a a beach. I don't know why. That's just something that I mastered as a kid. And then that was what I would do. But like last year, it's funny, at the end of the year, we have to do this thing. It's like a showcase of learning is what they call it. And we ask the kids to do it. And then they present what they learned. What were their goals? How did they reach them? And then they can choose a creative way to talk about it. And the adults actually have to do it too. And we do it in our teacher meetings. And we all set it up. So during my meetings last year, I started painting because I was zooming into most of these Meetings. And so I had my paint station set up and I was like painting. And then I was like, I should do an animal that starts with every letter of the alphabet and make an alphabet book. And then I made an alphabet book with the paintings. And then it was just like about my growth that year. And so that's the one I'm most proud of. And the most recent is just painting animals of different colors and different letters of the alphabet. A is for Aardvark. Thank
0: you. I'm super inspired <laughs> so. right now. Here's what I just wrote down. This is crazy. We could go in different directions. But one of the things I wrote down. Sure. Is of course we talked earlier. My first book comes out on March eighth, and that's an adult. But I've also got a couple of kids books that I am writing at this moment. And what you just inspired yeah. me to write down is my own alphabet book for kids of eternal optimism and A through Z and what that might mean. So I am appreciative of that. Love that for you. Do it. Yes, I'm gonna make a note that when that comes out, I'm gonna reach out to you to collaborate on this if you're up for it because you I just inspired me to. with the idea. Ex- so this is cool. Yes. This is super cool. As I'm doing. Doodling, I'll finish the thought on doodling. I love to doodle because I don't want to break eye contact. I don't want to get on a laptop. I don't take notes on computers anymore. I, I always do it on my handwritten on the iPad because yeah. just I remember better. But I always doodle arrows going in an upright direction oh. or up direction or to the right direction. So normally I'm doodling arrows and normally those arrows turn into animals. And just as an example today, the arrow has turned into a snake.
1: I love it so much. I wonder if it says something about people, like what they decide to doodle. Like my husband would do geometric shapes when he was in school. Like he would do like patterns and then some people do Zentangles and then you're doing arrows. I'm doing a beach scene. (laughs) Like It's interesting. Like I wonder, there's probably a personality test out there. And if not, we should make one. I (laughs) like it.
0: I don't think this is just random blah, blah stuff. I think this is super important because we tend to remember things when there's some type of anchor attached. To it. And I coach people when we fill out our one page business plan every year for our goals, our targets for the year, as they handwrite that out, not just printing it out and typing it, as they have the template printed and they write on it, I imagine or I invite them to write shapes on it, to draw creative, like a, a celebration flag, like you're crossing the victory line here, or their favorite animal, or their favorite rocket ship, or whatever, to have a little bit of emotional anchor. Like right around my desk right here, there are so many little things, including I got a heart right here, I got a smiley face over here. Mm-hmm. My school district client, it's a Rock Hill school, so they have their own hashtag rock solid That's is their cute. fight song. And we gave out like 3,000 rocks when we had our first assembly with all the teachers and the principals seven months ago. So in any event, I'm inspired by what we're talking about. I've already made a ton of notes. So you started off with sharing something that was challenging. It was an experience in that very important time in life, 9, 10, 11 years old. It was expectations and grades and things and socially with parents. So I'd love to go forward now and talk about like your main and your passion. And can you just share with us, why is education your chosen field, Tilleen?
1: I was born with it. As silly as it sounds, I've known since I can remember that this was my calling in life and I can't question it. I've never had anything else in mind. Like I've known through and through that teaching and education was my thing. I went through a pretty traditional education in my upbringing, right? K through 12. And then when I went into college, I immediately went into a teaching program. So I was cohorted with 50 people at a public university, huge university, but I was with the same 50 people who knew that they wanted to do elementary education. And throughout this program, so I was 17 when I graduated high school. And so I'm 17 years old in other classrooms, taking notes, observing, writing lesson plans, and just knowing that this is what I want to do. And I'm looking at education being approached differently from different teachers that I'm observing and at different levels. Like I even observed, we had a preschool on campus. It was interesting. They had a two-way mirror and hanging microphones that the kids didn't know, but we would just sit behind the two-way mirror, observe, take notes on like how the interactions were going and things like that. And then we would be sent out to other schools in the area at varying socioeconomic statuses, varying grade levels, varying all these things. And then you're just seeing what it is. And then in my senior year, I had to do my student teaching because I was getting my bachelor's and my credential at the same time. So in order to get your credential, you have to go through some student teaching. And so every day I would go, the first half of my student teaching was in a fourth grade class in a low socioeconomic status school. And she did some cool things with them. They had programs come in. I remember there was one that was about animation and they were teaching them how to do animation on a computer and things like that. And I thought, what a cool opportunity for kids to dive into something that's not just strictly math, strictly language arts, whatever. You're doing something different. And then the second school I went to was a second grade class in a well-off neighborhood. And they had lots of parent participation. And I have to be there during teacher appreciation week and we got massages and we had a luncheon with belly dancers. It was a whole thing. Like it was amazing. But the thing I learned most about that school was two things. One is project-based learning. You can approach education in a very unique and meaningful and hands-on way where you're still meeting the goals and the standards and all of that stuff that you want the kids to do. But you're also allowing them a little bit of creativity in how they present their knowledge and their information. And so that was my first experience seeing that in action because she used the curriculum as like a guideline as to what content she was supposed to do. But then they would take it into something else. And I'll give you an example in just a second, because the second thing was how you use your parents to your benefit who want to be involved. So lots of parents would argue that no matter what socioeconomic area you're in, parents want to help. They have that in them and they might not have the opportunity to take time during the school day to come into your classroom and literally run a center or do something like that. Yes. But you give them options of how to participate. So it could be, can you please cut all of these card? Uh, these cardstock papers into squares because I'm going to need it for this project. I'm going to send it home with your kiddo, and then if you could just cut it while you're watching TV or something tonight, that would be so helpful and okay. things like that. Right. So just a way to build that community and bring in all the stakeholders in a kid's education. It's huge, and it drives a lot of why I do what I do. Sorry. So then back to the project-based thing because I'm going to turn this into a literal unit that I would like to actually like market and sell at some point. Let's do it. But one of my lessons that I had to do for that second grade class there. There's a book called The Truth About the Three Little Pigs and it's the wolf's perspective about what happened with the three little pigs. So then the whole project was putting the wolf on trial. So everybody took a role and you had kids that were attorneys for the wolf and you have kids that were attorneys for the pigs. You had somebody play the wolf, you had somebody play the pigs and then whatever varying participants that you needed, everybody had a role. And then when they presented it, the parents would come in and they would be the jury and then they had to decide whether or not the wolf was guilty or innocent so that when they finished doing that and then I was done with my student teaching experience they actually asked my permission to take that lesson and turn it into a school play and then they did that and then I came in and I watched the school play and it was amazing and so just to recreate educational experiences like that for my own children and for the kids that I have personally taught and now the teachers that I'm teaching and to just inspire them to push it a little bit further yeah to make it more meaningful make it more fun you learned about the justice system a little bit in that process you were reading you were analyzing you were writing you're doing all of these things and it's not in your traditional rote memorization regurgitate whatever you memorized onto a piece of paper it is deeper than that it is more meaningful than that that's my goal wow i want to make it
0: that is a lot i got a smile from ear to ear just thinking about all of this sounds super fun and entertaining and encouraging when they told you that this was going to be a play what was your feeling
1: I was like, are you okay with this? And I was like, I'm honored that you even thought that was cool enough to turn into a play school. Why do you know? And I hadn't even started teaching yet in real life. I was 20 years old running this. And like I said, not to toot my own horn, but I was born with this. Yes. I know what I know. It was just inherent. And I want to use that passion and that power for good. And I just want to make... And so I'm expanding my platform beyond my school. I started podcasts. I'm trying to build my other stuff and entrepreneurial skills don't come naturally to me. So it is a growth thing. It's a learning curve. That's the name
0: of my podcast. (laughs) Just tell us about the podcast. Love to hear about this.
1: Sure. So my podcast is called the learning curve education conversations. And it was just a vehicle to be able to have conversations to record these conversations that I was having with at least my colleagues and my friends. I think a lot of people would get benefit from this because I keep seeing things on like social media where things in education are demonized. This is happening in schools. This is happening in class. I'm like, no, that's not true or that's a little bit true, but let's go into the nuances of it or success stories or keeping it positive, but also being real about what the issues are that we're seeing in education and in classrooms, the shifts we've seen and how to work with it. Things like post-pandemic teaching and AI being a part of writing and things like that. Right. And so depending on whoever the guest is, I've had a few authors on, I've had a few educators on and a, a variety of people so far. But the commonality is just... Just wanting to do better for our kids, yes, whatever that means. And if it means inspiring them to be the authors or to be whatever it is that they need to be, lean into their strengths, right? But I felt that it was so necessary because yes. whenever you just go based off the papers, right? If you're just running the war through the newspapers and you're not in the trenches, you're probably misinformed about what's actually happening. And then you will be demonizing the people that are not in the same school of thought as you. And I don't appreciate that so much. And I I personally do a hybrid approach to my kids' education. They're partially homeschooled, and they partially go to a Montessori school. They do both. And I teach in a public setting. So we see this variety of approaches to education, and it's not that one's better than the other. It just might be that it's a better fit for your kid to do one than the other. And it might be a better fit for your kid right now, and then it changes later because they're morphing, and they're growing, and they're doing things. And so to just inform everybody about the variety of educational approaches and to not be like like homeschoolers are weird.
0: That was a stigma 25 years ago, for sure. And now it's different now. Yeah.
1: Or public schools are trying to brainwash your children. No, we wouldn't do it with that. And so to just really provide context and to have more insightful conversations that involve more of the nuances that are out there. Mm. That's the idea.
0: So you see yeah. things from several different angles. You see it from a home school. You see it from Montessori school. You see it from public school. And plus, we have our own experience growing up. So from all of that, how might we best to ascertain which learning style might be best for our kids, different ages. Send them there and see what happens. Or you notice certain thinking patterns or styles from kids around the age of eight. And then you recognize that's probably best for Montessori, probably best for public or best for home. How do you think about that? Because I think a lot of our listeners are probably in that space where a lot of the kids are in a public school and they're doing okay. We wonder if this is the best fit, maybe if there's a better fit. So how do you know, Talene? I don't know. I never think to ask the question really, because we just send our kids locally where it's convenient. We moved to this neighborhood because it's it's got a good school district, but we don't know if that's the, the best thing for them or not. If they're doing okay, it would appear, right? But how do we know?
1: Yeah, and, and if they're doing okay, yeah, sit tight. Yeah. It's fine, and it's totally fine. And so I would say that it involves conversations with all of the stakeholders in their education. So if grandparents are involved and you respect their opinions and if teachers are involved and things like that, you gotta see what's going on. So like my personal experience with kids is sometimes the social aspect of a public school and how difficult it could be in certain neighborhoods and areas and things like that could be not serving your kid. It could actually be doing some damage, right? Or that public school actually is really providing them with all of these opportunities that you could not yourself provide them with. So, it's great to send them there and you just have to really lay out those ideas. Now in California, it's really interesting because you get stipend money to public school or to homeschool your kid through like public charters. So, what happens is it's you can get money to get a curriculum, depending on how the charter works. Our charter works where you can choose the curriculum that you want to teach your kid. And then you have taken it upon yourself to do that. But you have a credential teacher that's overseeing what you're doing and is a touchpoint person that you're held responsible to and can answer your questions, right? And then whatever's left over from that stipend funding, you can spend on extracurriculars. So like my daughter's in ballet, my son's in tennis, like we're doing things that are outside of the scope of school. So they get these opportunities and experiences. But I also have a very strong village. I have uh, very involved grandparents. My husband and I have relatively flexible schedules where we can take turns. And then we do lean on the Montessori school sometimes to fill in the gaps for the socialization aspect of it. And that's just what works for us for now. And this might not be a forever solution. And so we really want to ask people to think about who they have in their circle to help. If they think homeschooling is better for them, there are resources. There's likely people around you that are doing the same thing. You can lean into those pods ask questions. If you're looking into public schools or private schools or whatever, I strongly recommend that you tour the school, feel the vibes as silly as that sounds. Does this sound like it's a great place for your kid or not? The school that I work at specifically is open concept. There are no walls and doors between the classrooms. And that can be very overwhelming for some people. And it's likely not a good fit for everybody, right? Because you have to be able to focus in and thrive in a collaborative setting. And that's the idea. Like I always tell people, Think of the way Google is structured, right? Their offices, it's very open and people are just working wherever. That's how our school is structured and jives well with a lot of people. And it turn so many other people off. So to tour it, to spend time in it, to observe it, to see what it is that works best for you, and then try to make a plan and see who can help you go through that plan.
0: I'm cluing on the idea of involve all the stakeholders, everyone that's present or that wants to be present, that you also want to be there, get their feedback, get their input on it is what I'm really feeling and hearing so far. Yeah, Taline, I'm looking yeah. at the clock here. I, I know that uh, we've got okay. just a few minutes to go. So I would like to share with our audience, so where can they go to find out more about 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 you, and I believe you actually have an offer for our audience as well. So please share with us how we can find you.
1: Sure. So I actually have a website: www.wildk5.com. W I L D. K5.com stands for what I learn daily kindergarten through fifth grade. And there you would be able to access all of the podcast links, you can make an appointment with me to have a consultation to have that conversation about what school setting might be right for you. There's a link to my teachers pay teacher store, it's in its budding stages, but you can buy lessons and pre made slides and things like that I've put in there for learning how to read. And then the offer is this I'm in the process of trying to create like a little baby curriculum, right? That's project based and things like that. And I have a beta lesson lesson. That's a four week long lesson. And if you're interested, go ahead and shoot me an email at info at wildk5.com. And I will send you that beta project for free. Wow. And just let me know how you like it. (laughs) I want to know I need feedback
0: fantastic so that's someone who has a child between k5 or is it for k
1: yeah this one's more geared towards kinder through first but if you have older kids okay. or you have kids who need more of a challenge i can help provide that differentiation for you it's my fantastic chance. i like being able to meet the needs of all the kids that we're serving so
0: okay no. so we've got your email info at wildk5.com we've got your website wildk5.com and of course we also have your podcast the learning curve education conversations these are the Places team that you can find Miss Tallene Stevens, who is living in California, who has a multitude of educational experience. And you should definitely check her out because I've really enjoyed speaking with her today. And if you watch on YouTube, you can see her background. You can see that her convictions she speaks with, she's super easy to talk to. And sometimes you might have educators that might give off this pretentiousness a little bit. And she doesn't at all. She's like super easy to talk to like a real life mom and a leader. So reach out to Tallene in the ways that (laughs) that we've seen here on the show. And Tallene, we've made it to the final lightning round here to wrap up the next few minutes. Ding, ding. Let's wrap things up here. I'd like to ask you about books. If there is one or two, if there are one or two books that have had an impact on you in your life you'd recommend, what might be one or two book recommendations from you?
1: Oh my gosh, that's so hard. <laughs> right now, I'm listening to a book that's about money because I'm trying to just be more financially literate. And okay. it's called Rich AF. And it's by Vivian Two. I think it's her last name. She's on social media as your rich BFF, whatever. And so that is helping me just get my logistics in place. So I'm going to recommend that. Excellent. And then the other one is just a fun read. And I really liked it. And it's not that it changed my life. I still think about that book to this day. And they i think they turned it into a netflix show but it's called behind her eyes and it was so good and it was like one of those edge of your seat till the last page there was a twist that you did not see coming type of book and it was just so good wow and it just really inspired my personal journey of reading like and i'm like oh i want another one i've been chasing that dragon with all the all the books that i've been reading since then but yeah
0: thank you okay let's go to your music then if there is a song or a genre or an artist that really just fills your bucket fills your cup just inspires you you what is it that inspires you with music
1: okay there's a lot it's very hard it's same thing with the book but my gut instinct is jack johnson i really ah! like his mellow yes. music the vibes i remember seeing him at the hollywood bowl and it was one of my favorite concerts i ever went to like i was just in the happiest place <laughs> listening to him and yeah and just generally, like if I pull up Pandora, I would choose like Jack Johnson radio. So just things that are along those lines. If I'm just trying to be in a good headspace and just easygoing and beachy almost. Awesome. Okay.
0: Last question. I'm probably
1: and feeding it to my Californian here. With, no, I, I love Jack Johnson stuff. too. That
0: song <laughs> Bubble Toes is on my yeah. driving list. So I love it. And I'm going to give you last question, last word, then that's a wrap. Here it is. This is the Eternal Optimist podcast. When I say the words eternal optimist, what does that mean to you?
1: means always looking at the bright side of things because as difficult as life can get, there's always something to learn. There's always a silver lining. There's always a thing. I remember going through a very difficult loss in my family and thinking that this is the hardest thing I've gone through so far, right? And also I'm probably gonna be able to help somebody else go through their losses as they go on because I've had this experience and I know what it feels like to go through a loss like this. Again, it might sound pokey or silly But I do firmly believe that there is always a good side to every experience. It is part of the human experience. You cannot have the good without the bad. If every day was a holiday, you wouldn't realize how special it was to have a holiday. Things like that. And it's hard to keep in mind when you're going through it, when you're in the thick of it. But definitely in retrospect, it's there. So (laughs) here's that.